already know the ending to this story. We're going to change it. Yeah, baby! Please open your eyes. Take this. Remember who you answered to. What is your name? This is where it kind of goes off the deep end. Welcome to Movie Land with CJ Johnson on ABC Local Radio, digital and online. A couple of years ago, a film came out called Fort Tilden, written and directed by Sarah Violet Bliss and Charles Rogers. You can't find my review anywhere because I was unaware of it until I discovered a new television show called Search Party. Sarah and Charles have created Search Party with Michael Showalter. He was last on Movie Land to talk about his excellent movie, Hello, My Name is Doris. Now, Michael joins me from the edges of the earth, a beach in Malibu, to talk about Search Party. Hello, Michael. Hi, CJ. How did you come to work with the creators of Fort Tilden? Um, is it the um, film that got you together? Well, no. Well, yes and no. Charles and Sarah Violet were also students of mine at NYU Graduate Film School. Oh. Go on. And they, they, uh, they made their movie, Fort Tilden, I had already moved to Los Angeles. By that time, we were friends. I, have, I was no longer teaching there. They were no longer students there. Um, they moved to Los Angeles, and I hired them to be writers on the first season of Wet Hot American Summer. Uh-huh. Um, so they wrote on Wet Hot, and in the, during the writing of Wet Hot, the three of us began to talk about uh, developing a show that uh, they could be, uh, that could highlight their talent. And uh, that is how we came up with Search Party. It's an extraordinary talent because with Fort Tilden, it's a very modest movie, and I'm recommending it to anyone now to go find it and watch it. It's a very modest movie with the sense about two people on a very modest road trip through Brooklyn to get to a beach at Fort Tilden. And yet, by the end of it, without ever resorting to any sort of cliche or sentimentality, it is the movie that, to me, completely best, monumentally defines an entire generation, which is the millennials. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like um, I would be, I would put it a little slightly differently. I agree with you, but I also felt like they, in their writing, capture something that is um, universal to to um, being young, that a kind of a, a you know a kind of detachment that um, I feel like is you know catcher in the rye, the graduate, less than zero. Um, there's a kind of a, a a long line of of sort of great comedy heartbreaking stories about this sort of detached, disaffected youth. And I felt like the, the work that they do kind of fits into that. And then I think what I sort of brought, brought to it maybe was a little bit more optimism and a little bit more of a sense of that these characters um, can change and aren't, maybe they're disaffected right now, but they're deep down yearning for something more and they just can't quite put their finger on it. Because as I've learned, because I'm not a millennial, um, you grow out of that. As you get older, you do start to care, in a sense, and you do start to let go of that need to 
you know, um, be cool all the time. And, and, and that to me is a universal thing. That's not just people of this generation. That's any young generation. Good point. I, 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 I see what you're saying and I agree with it entirely. And that's very interesting and, because... And, and so, and yeah, and so like in, in, in working on it, where I think where I think we collaborated was to to have there be a, uh, that main character Dory, you get a sense that she can change or that she's different or that she sees things for what they really are. Whereas in Fort Tilden, her the main characters in Fort Tilden, and this is by design, don't change at all, and and they're sort of just they just are like that. That's just how they are. Yes, and I think that that. That's a kind of a question that looms over search party also. Yes, in Fort Tilden, even if you divide the two main characters in Fort Tilden as the obviously bad one and the obviously good one, even the good one is is not that good because there's a scene towards the end which completely sort of destroys her. <laughs> yeah, and and I think like you know a big a big thing that I think I've I've that I think about when when doing these things is sort of like wanting to give the audience a character that they can that they think they can relate to that they think that they can put their their hopes and fears into a character that is that is going to take them into this world where they're not just looking outside you know it's they're not just looking outside in the dory the alia shokat character we really relate to her we feel close to her in a way that brings us into the world so that we're not just sort of like visitors in a museum looking at these strange hipsters. She's she's us. We relate. Absolutely. She's a magnificent character. So for our, view, uh, for our listeners who uh, don't know anything yet about Search Party, Dory is a, a, a young woman, a hipster, a millennial, who essentially manages to engage herself by discovering that an old classmate of her has gone missing and she tries to figure out the mystery, tries to find this person. And I guess the first thing that sort of comes to mind is hipster Nancy Drew, but it's so much, so much more than that. And you're right, the character is, it's a, it's a brilliant creation and she is so perfect. She seems like the yeah. perfect actress for 2016 and beyond. Yeah, 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 I agree. I mean, she's, she's... Um, Alia Shawkat. She's... Yeah, she's funny. She's ultra natural, beautiful, um, very funny, but also very mysterious. And and there's a, there's a an enigmatic quality to her. And and there's a I think she exudes humanity. That that I think that is something that that was very important to me and all of us is again is to sort of like not just have these characters be. Un, you know, unapproachable hipster characters that are just ironic all the time. There's a vulnerability and a humanity to, to Dory and Alia that, that sucks you in in a way that's a little bit, that's very special to this show, I think. Yeah. Also, Alia appears, I suppose, ethnically ambiguous, and her three cohorts yeah. are unapologetically waspy white. Yes, yes. So yeah. she sort of represents um, the true Brooklyn against their sort of more invasive Brooklyn. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and I mean, you have, um, but you also learn that they're, that they're all, 
under the surface, they all have vulnerabilities also. They're not on the, you know, they all have a kind of an outward appearance of, of imperviousness and invincibility that when you go underneath the surface, there's a lot more going on. Oh, absolutely. I mean, one of the great achievements of the series is making one feel empathy for the fellow who has been trying to help Africa. Who's been what? The fellow whose whose water venture is trying to help Africa. Yes, yes, yes. Well, who's also lying about something very big. Have you gotten to that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what I'm saying is that even after that, you still manage to bring it around and one can still feel empathy for him. I know, I know. And that's incredible. I know, yeah, yeah. So the tone of the he's show... He's a good friend. He does, he does have good qualities. He's a loyal friend in a way, and he's, he's that person that you want to have around. You know, it, it, it was interesting talking about him because he's a really... He's a pathological liar. He's... he's so selfish. He's cruel to his boyfriend, which is one of my favorite relationships in the show. Oh, absolutely. Because I think it's just because I think it's so real. I, he, the way that he treats this guy who's just madly in love with him, and if he's feeling good about himself, he doesn't want to be in the relationship. And if he's feeling at all himself in a bad place, he immediately wants the relationship back, and the guy always is there for him. Um, and, but he's also, we all have friends like that who are very self-absorbed and kind of, um, cool in their own way. And yet they're really fun to have around That's kind of what his character Elliot is. Yeah. I mean, he's truly, truly needy, but he's also, yeah, as you say, he's, he's quite generous of spirit. Yes. Yes. And he's incredibly kind to his best friend and housemate. Yes. Now, how did you... Who, who also is... Yeah, go ahead. No, no, you go. No, and she too. I mean, she's beautiful and she's kind of the Goldie, you know, very much of a Goldie Hawn kind of, you know, funny, ditzy blonde character, but who who is actually genuinely, really, truly insecure. <laughs> and not in a like, sort of like, oh, I'm a supermodel, but I, I have acne in the morning kind of insecure. But there's... But she's, she, we learned that she has a really um, strained relationship with her mother and that that informs a lot of things about her. And you really sympathize with her, too. And um, you start to learn why these people are friends and what their friendship is, about, what their friendship is and what the, what the nature of those friendships are. Mm. Now, how did you guys talk about the tone? Because I find this show to be, I mean, it's very funny, but it's so dry. The laughs are not really laugh out loud laughs, and it's but it's not a straight mystery either. How did you arrive at the tone? That's a lot about Sarah Violet and Charles, and just the kind of their comic sensibility, the kinds of things they find funny. As is very on display in Fortilden, it's a very, very unique, very sardonic sense of humor, and we just tried to, in the writing of the show, plot plotted out in a way that we thought was exciting the way you would if there weren't if it weren't a comedy. You know, we were just thinking of it in terms of this is just a really fun David Lynch, you know, twists and turns murder mystery. Mm-hmm, good. Um, and then comedically, 
um, same kind of thing, you know, situations that seem very funny to us and leaning into those situations. But at the end of the day, uh, Sarah Violet and Charles took the scripts and, and put, put it all in their voice. So the, the, the comic sensibility has really come from them. So they were students of yours. Then you hired them to be writers on your show with David Wayne, uh, the Wet Hot American Summer series. Then you developed this, or simultaneously you developed this with them. So how does that work? You're you're kind of, I mean, we're both still young, you and I, but you're kind of the grand old man of comedy with them. You were their teacher. Yeah. Do you, is it sort of, but you're right. sharing equal credits. Are you kind of a mentor position or are you managing to become fully peers? How does that work? It's both. It's both. Um, I, I, on some respects, I see myself as a mentor and a kind of protector. Mm-hmm. You know that I, I'm, I'm giving them hope, hope, hopefully trying to provide them with a creative environment that is most, you know, you know, is suits them and their talent the best. And I can kind of run interference for them of the outside forces that maybe they're not so familiar with so that we can navigate all this together and that they're protected and, and I, and they know me and they trust me. And so they know that I have their best interests um, at heart, but then also creatively, I also think I know how to take that, what they can do and, and broaden it a little bit and put it in slightly different packaging so that it can reach a, a bigger audience and so that it can be commercial. Right. Um, and, and so the kind of the, that's been the, the marriage of it is, is sort of, I know what they do really well and I want to give them the best opportunity to bring that to the world. And I, and I think I know what I do really well too. And I'm, so I sort of am melding the two together. Sure. How, how actually young are they? Mid twenties? They're both like, they're both like, what'd you say? Mid twenties? Late 20s. Late 20s. So with the characters in Search Party, they come so fully formed. It, it feels like, you know, from a practitioner perspective, so much time must have been thought about just developing these these four central characters because the, <laughs> their personalities are massive and and so well-defined from the, from the very first episode. Yeah. Well, we wrote the whole show. We wrote the show before we shot it, so... Well, we wrote the pilot um, first, and then once we got, when we had a vague idea from that of where we wanted to go in series, but um, we wrote the entire 10 episodes first and then shot it. So it was sort of like a movie, you know, we, 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 we were able to write all the way to the end of the show and then go back and ping pong back and forth so that, so that, so that once we had finished through to the end, we could then go back to episode two and tweak here and tweak there. And when you bring the actors in also, obviously then they bring a lot to it. And, and they, they knew also exactly as they're shooting episode two, they knew where their characters wound up in episode 10, right? Which if you've seen episode 10 is a significant thing to know. Oh, I have. I love, and I, I really love how the series comes to, both an incredibly satisfying conclusion and also is absolutely available for these characters to live on into further seasons. Yeah, and but I mean like for 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 Alia for Alia, you know, for her to know 
where she where her character was going to wind up, I think, really helped her um, create that character because her the Dory character starts to kind of come out of her shell. Yes, and as she's you know going through this experience of looking for this 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 lost acquaintance. And she's getting confidence, and she's gaining purpose, and she's feeling alive in a way that she has never felt before. And it's all coming, it's all mattering, you know. It's like she's found her calling. And, and the question, some of the questions that we're asking is like, you know, did she make this happen, or like, did she will this to happen, or did this, you know, was she, was she, which came first, the chicken or the egg, kind of. Right. And um, so I think for all of them, it, knowing the arc of their stories allowed them to really think about their characters in a way that would be different than if every week you were just getting the script for the next episode. Oh, this is what happens to my character. Okay, let me kind of wrap my head around that. Sure. And, and with us, they knew. They knew all of it, and so they were able to kind of do their own math on how to on how to tell their characters stories over the course of the 10 episodes. Mm. I know you're, uh, you're, you're on a beach and shooting. Do you have time for two more quick questions? Yes. Um, one is, is the, along the way, I love how the series is, even though it's incredibly tight, and obviously as a mystery story, it's amazingly tight, but many of the episodes allow themselves to have encounters or moments or characters or scenes or what even feel like story threads that then just sort of wander off and, and disappear around the periphery. Would you say that that was sort of a conscious decision of the storytelling? Do you see what I mean? Yes, yeah. I mean, um, there was always a kind of a, a phrase that we used often as we were writing the show was down the rabbit hole. Right. <laughs> that, that these characters are going down the rabbit hole. And you don't really know what's down the rabbit hole. You just kind of go down there and look around and um, you kind of go where it takes you. We also knew in every episode what the major, the sort of the major plot twist would be. And in a way, that's kind of as long as you have that one major plot twist, at the end of every episode that kind of hooks you into wanting to see the next episode, um, you can kind of meander your way to that moment. If you know where, like if you know where you're going, you can kind of take a pretty circuitous route on your way to it. Because by the time you get there, that, that moment that happens at the end of every episode is such a cliffhanger that it requires you to go, just to go watch the next thing to find out what happens next. And then you can kind of, meander again but that is kind of the style of it and i love it because it enables us to for example hang out with parker posey and zach cherry and whoever that wonderful person is who plays the leader of the um of the cult you know that's um i i it, that's the lead singer of the band tv on the radio i don't know if you know that band <laughs> no but he was fantastic yeah. Oh, he's amazing. He's amazing. <laughs> Talk about great casting for a small, you know, just a, a an almost cameo appearance. Yeah. Edwin. Edwin. That's the that's the character's name is Edwin. Right. Uh, he's great. Now, Sarah Violet Bliss, Charles Rogers, yourself, Fort Tilden, this, both essentially at least on on a much more surface level than what we've been talking about, set in Brooklyn among the hipsters. And I know that before moving to Los Angeles, I believe you lived in Brooklyn? Oh, yes. 
for many years. So this is obviously something you guys get to talk about a lot. You're really, more than anyone at the moment, you guys are dissecting Brooklyn hipsters. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, Brooklyn in general, I mean, and, and also in a way just, it's, it's, it's New York also. It's, the, it's Brooklyn hipsters, but it's also just New York City. We go... We, we go to we go to Wall Street and we go to all all different neighborhoods. We're in Chinatown and we're all over the place and we go to upstate New York and stuff. We didn't want it to just be about Williamsburg, right? Um, though there is that too. There are the roof parties and stuff. And we all often think that like you know if if our main characters were at a party that the characters from Girls were at, the characters from Girls would like think they were losers or something but they like might be at the same party right they they, you know they'd like bump into each other getting drinks or something but they wouldn't they wouldn't be friends no not at all but they could call the guy from high maintenance to deliver them weed yeah oh for sure oh without a doubt doubt. (laughs) in fact i watched the series simultaneously high maintenance and search party and they do sort of complement each other incredibly well definitely definitely yes it's a very, it's a very defined culture, and one that also seems, from the outside, both geographically and generationally, seems to, while seeming so loose and all embracing, seem to have actually these rigid structures, and that actually do cause people within them to stress about themselves and how they're appearing within yeah. the culture. Yes. Yes. Yes, which again I think is is also just a little bit of a universal truth about being in your twenties and cliques and social cliques and popularity and what what defines popularity and what defines being cool and how what are the ways in which you be cool and you know everyone needs to have a thing that they do and a thing that they excel at and that's why for her she doesn't know what she wants to do. She doesn't have a special talent or, you know, she's not at a party when someone asks her, what do you do? She doesn't have a very good answer. Mm. And when you're living in Brooklyn and you're trying to be cool, that's not a very good thing to have. That's a very difficult, you know, proposition to not know how to answer that question because when someone asks you, what, what do you do? They're really asking you, who are you? Yeah. I absolutely loved it. I devoured it over two nights. It's called Search Party. It will be available on some form of digital video service, uh, depending on where you live in the world. Um, So just look it up and and look up your own nation and try and find it, Search Party. Can I ask you yet, is there going to be a second season? Do we know yet? Are you allowed to say yet? Um, I I don't know for sure, but I I I feel optimistic. Great. And I've got to ask you one quick question off topic. Did you see Fred Armisen's work in the Documentary Now series, which was this, the takeoff of the uh, Talking Heads, yes. Stop Making Sense? No, I haven't seen that one yet. Oh, my God. Him as David Byrne is the one of the best comic things I've ever seen. Oh, i got to go, go watch it right away. Have you been watching Documentary Now? Yes, yes. I think it's astonishing. Like the war room. I saw the one that they did on the war room and I saw uh, a couple other ones. You'll like, you'll like the stop making sense one. And you'll like the last two of season two, which are essentially about the Robert Evans movie. Oh, great. Awesome. Yeah. I'll let you get back to your shoot. Will you be, will you be coming back to LA anytime soon? 
Um, uh, possibly not for the next four years. <laughs> Why is that? Oh, something that happened oh, in, oh, in your know, country about a month ago. Yes, 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 yes. Look, that'll, yeah, that, that'll die down over time. So, yes. Once I get over that, yes. I don't blame you. Yes, because once you... Yeah, dude. Well, we need you here. We need, we need, we need good vibes here. It's, <laughs> yep. it's rough. It's really, really rough. Yeah. Michael Showalter is co-creator and executive producer on Search Party. This is Bruce Beresford, and you're listening to Movie Land. You're listening to Movie Land with CJ Johnson. Time for a very quick TV talk with Lucy. We've got to get a theme for this, actually. Last, <laughs> last week, Lucy, you mentioned that you were about to get back into the Vikings. Now you have. Tell yes. us about the Vikings. Is this like sort of a, a low-rent Game of Thrones? You see, it's always getting compared to Game of Thrones. Um, people say, oh, I like Game of Thrones more than Vikings or Vikings isn't as good as Game of Thrones. I don't know why you have to necessarily compare those two shows just because they both have a lot of sword fighting and a lot of blood and guts and um, you know medieval kind of bodice-ripping scenes. Um, Sounds like you just <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> That's why they compare <laughs> I've always liked Vikings a lot more than Game of Thrones, though, because I think the characters are a lot more interesting. And I like the fact that religion is actually so important in Vikings. I know that that might be a strange comment, but I feel like that adds an extra texture to it. You can really see why characters are motivated to do the crazy things that they do. Are the Vikings from Iceland or Norway? No, they're actually in Sweden. Sweden, okay. Sweden and Denmark. Ah, um, okay. And, but then there are characters who come from Norway to the main town, which is somewhere on the coast of Sweden. Because I, as you know from all the all the Scandi noir I watch, I'm fascinated with that part of the world at the moment and obsessed with it. Really, do you get a lot of the the old medieval history of that area of the world? Yeah, well, they, um, the the storyline is supposedly based on. Uh, various sagas from that part of the world yeah. from the Dark Ages. Yeah. The characters are all documented in some way, although, of course, the creators take great um, creative license with them. Yeah, but okay, they're historical figures. Yeah. Oh, that makes it instantly more interesting to me. Yeah, Ragnar Lothbrok, who is the main character, played by the Australian actor Travis Fimmel, he was a real person and his sons were real people too. And so now we're into the fourth season, which they split into two halves, because all TV makers are doing that now. I don't know which TV show started it. Was it Mad Men? Yeah, Mad Men, Breaking Bad. Yeah. They were a couple of the first ones, and I think they did it for economic reasons. Mm-hmm. And now you're right, a lot of them are doing it, and they must have a reason why. Oh, just to make us all, you know, more stressed about the um, arrival of the second half. But well, I think these are very big, expensive, and difficult-to-shoot shows that they do it on. Things like yeah. Mad Men, you know, Matt Wiener famously, you know, was taking his time and Breaking Bad. They knew that they wanted to stretch it out. But something like Vikings and Game of Thrones, I mean, it, they're monumental productions. But they could have just made two smaller seasons, but they made this the fourth season split into two halves. Right. Why call it 4.1, 4.2 when they could call it 4 and 5? Right? Yeah, yeah, I yeah, don't yeah. know. Yeah. Anyway, we're up to the second half of the fourth season and it just has been renewed for a fifth season recently, kind of to coincide with the the new episodes. Yeah. And uh, now uh, Ragnar's sons are all grown up. So there are four new characters who can be in on the scheming and, you know, sword fighting and planning raids, which is pretty exciting because it's nice to have some new characters. A lot of the old ones 
died in horrible ways, as you can imagine. I mean, what you're talking about in terms of like the scheming, you know, court intrigue, and mm. you're talking about people dying horrible ways, it does sound like if you like Game of Thrones, you're going to like this. Yes. But it's not exactly like Game of Thrones. I just, I find it far less bleak than Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> not hard. Far less um, trying for the audience than Game of Thrones. Yeah. Um, Maybe that's, you know, why people like Game of Thrones more because you never know what horrible thing is just going to happen around the corner. But Vikings is just more exciting to me. Right. I mean, part of the reason I believe people are addicted to Game of Thrones is because you are never, ever with a story for more than a scene or a sequence. You know what I mean? So you're with Peter Dinklage's character, then you're with the Dragon Queen, then mm-hmm. you're over here, then you're over here. So it is for, it's really for short attention spans. You're just with everyone for like four minutes at a uh, time. Yeah, but then you have the thing like Arya Stark's story from the last season that just dragged on forever because they had to put a tiny little bit of it in every episode and it kind of just never went anywhere. But that's the thing. Even though it dragged on forever, it's just a tiny little bit. So yeah. anyone can sort of get past a tiny little bit. Oh, Arya's bit. Oh, I don't like that bit. It's okay. It'll be over in three minutes. You know what I mean? I think that's part of... Does Vikings do that or is Vikings more linear? It's a lot more linear. There's the main setting, Katakut, which is um, like Ragnar becomes the king of that region and that's his town. And then they go to England. So there are characters in England who are quite important to the story. And supposedly they're going to be in Rome as well in this season and the next one because that was foreshadowed in the last season a little bit, which is exciting. And they are also in Paris. So there are a few different storylines, but not, you know, dozens like there are in Game of Thrones. Travis Fimmel, as the lead, is Australian. Yeah. I'm sure they've got actors from all over the world. What's the accent? Do they do like a a Norwegian, a Swedish accent? (laughs) Yeah, they do a little bit. Uh, Like they all speak English, but with a a kind of... um, Old Swedish. (laughs) (laughs) With a little bit of an accent that identifies them as being Nordic. Because then you actually have the English people speaking English and the French people speaking English with an old Frankish accent or whatever it would be. Yeah. Okay. It's fun. All right. It sounds really fun. Yeah. What is it, about 48, 50 minutes each? Yep. Yep. All right. I might give it a go. The one I have to bring to the table for you is the one that I just finished speaking with. It's co-creator Michael Showalter about Search Party. Mm-hmm. You're going to love Search Party. It's um, They're only about 20 minutes each. Very, uh, it's just so delightful. This uh, comedy, dry comedy mystery. Um, really seek it out. It's just absolutely lovely. It's about, I mean, I've just been talking about it, uh, but uh, it's about a, a young woman who lives in Brooklyn and her three friends and, uh, and uh, an old high school mate of theirs goes missing and she takes it upon herself to start searching for her friend. Mm-hmm. And that leads her in a bit of a mystery chase around Brooklyn and the boroughs of New York and it is absolutely delightful. That sounds good and it seems like there are kind of two types of shows these days, really long epic violent shows like Vikings and Game of Thrones and then little mini ones like um, Lovesick that I was talking about last week and a a few of the other comedies that you can find on Netflix or whatever. Yeah, yeah, 20 minutes. I mean, 20 minutes, it's, it's below this tipping point so it really feels like, oh, that was so quick. I, just, I, I can just quickly get in another one. Like you a know? snack. Yeah, totally like a snack, whereas Vikings is a meal. Yeah. TV Talk with Lucy. You've been listening to Movie Land with CJ Johnson. Make sure you see a movie at the cinema this weekend. Take care. Nobody does it better.
Some kind of man.